You mix Danda. Yeah. How was that experience? Since I started mixing for him, you know, way back when, his indications are usually on vocals and they're very, very simple indications because there was no, uh, almost no input on the music side of things. By uh, input, you mean direction, as in make he, it this way, make it that yeah, way. Yeah, he kind of gives you the bare materials, right? Yeah, and just do your thing. That's it. And that was really cool, you know, because out of my very large toolbox, he specifically told me, don't use this tool and that tool and that tool. I'm like, okay, I get rid of those three. I have still a thousand, so. That's so interesting, right? Because yeah. I, I remember I saw Steve Jobs saying that design isn't just what you include in a product, it's what you don't include. Oh, totally. The following conversation is with multi-platinum Grammy award-winning music mixer, Urko. Let me tell you something. This guy is so accomplished and yet so humble. He's the most interesting, sweet, low-key guy you could possibly meet that works on the biggest rap records in the world. And the reason why this podcast is especially interesting to me and why I want to share it with you guys is because if you don't know this, I am a huge hip-hop fan. I listen to all kinds of music, yes, but hip-hop is at the core of what I listen to every day. And specifically, my two favorite artists are Jay-Z and Kanye West. And this guy specifically works with them and mixes their albums. So it was quite the honor to get to sit down and talk to him, not only about Jay and Kanye, but about his entire journey of being an independent music fan from Italy, growing up in the you know 70s and 80s, moving from there all the way to becoming one of the biggest music mixers of all time. So it's a really awesome interview. And we actually have a part two that's coming out in a couple weeks where I got to go to his studio and listen to the Kanye album Donda, which he mixed and won a Grammy for, and listen to it in the proper studio with the real acoustics, with the real headphones and speakers that they used for it. So it was an amazing experience, and I can't wait for you guys to see that part two. But for now, here is part one. Enjoy my podcast with Mr. Irko. Mr. Irko, happy Wednesday. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. How are you feeling right now? What is your experience of life this very moment? Very good, man. Very interesting, intense. Um, a lot, you know, when you stretch the dough to make pizza and you got to like push it in all direction and then it gets even kind of like that. Yeah. Got so much things going on all, all at once and it's, uh, intense, but I like it. Has it always been that way? Yeah. There's been ups and downs, of course, in my career, just like in any entrepreneurial endeavor, right? You got some moments where it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then some moments where it's like, why is the phone not ringing <laughs> at all? And then it's like too much ringing. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's always been ups and downs. Yeah. But lately it's been intense yeah <laughs> you're <laughs> yes. expanding right you're you're growing the studio now yeah. have you always been an entrepreneur and an artist or were you like more on the art side of it first and then recently got more on the business side uh I, I guess you can say that i'm like right at the cross in between being uh, an artist and um more of a business person you know running recording studios engineering for people is exactly that there's a lot of a degree of technicalities that have to be learned and applied you know yeah. just like video yeah. making same thing you got to know your f-stop right yeah right but then at the end of the day usually that's not why they hire you they right. hire you because a lot more of that right like how you present yourself how you interact with talent and things like that so it, it i always say that my brain is like exactly 50 50 and that's how it's been my entire life, really. You know, I, I remember when I first uh, started, you know, working with music, not even working with music, just being um, fascinated by music. And it was like, okay, I want to buy that CD, but I don't have the money to buy that CD. So what do I d do to get the money for that? Right. Well, maybe I can make mixtapes. 
sell them, get the money, buy the CD. So you see how it's exactly, again, entrepreneurial thing. Let me get the money. But at the same time, I want to get that album because I want to hear the Dude, new Busta Rhymes music. Same. Isn't that I was something? the same way. <laughs> to, to, to me, I feel like they're, one in, they're, they're part of the same coin. When people say, yeah. oh, I'm just an artist. I don't do business. Or I'm just a businessman. I don't do creative. I'm like, that's limiting. Because yeah. there's art and business. There's business and art. Yeah. You know, like most of the time I've been out here in L.A., I, you know, when I first came out here, I wanted to get signed to a production company and I couldn't. So I was like, just started my own, right, right, <laughs> just right. started the business. And then we were able to get all the same big clients we wanted to get, right. you know, but it's like, um, it, it's the ability to just make it happen. Right. Right. right now right, for right. you, you started out at what age? Oh man. Uh, I don't think there was a moment in which I was not into audio, yeah. uh, but the real business, I mean, the, the, the first studio I opened in 98. Ooh, yeah. a, that was a minute ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Now, I call it a first studio, but it was really just like a half of my dad's garage. It was like, <laughs> it was nothing, you know? Right. But um, but it, it was a great starting point. And yeah. so I was very, very young when I started it and everything. And the advantages of that was that I was in a safe environment where I didn't have a crazy, you know, rent or bills or people to pay and things like that, right? So I was able to, at first, just kind of learn what I do as I go. Now, did you your know? dad think it was going to be a hobby or did he know you <laughs> wanted to make it into a real business? I have a story about that. So I asked him, well, first of all, my mom politicked my, you know, my way into allowing him to say yes to making the thing in the garage. That was the first thing. Go mom. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to mom. Uh, but the second thing was I needed money to buy a mic. Mm. And at the time, you know, getting a $2,000 microphone was like a crazy amount of money like i didn't have any cash you know so it was it was in a lot so i asked it to him and he gave it to me i don't remember exactly how it happened but he just gave me the money i went out got the mic and then i think it was five or six weeks later if i remember correctly it was a long time ago uh but i you know i show up i go and give him my envelope and he's like what's this and i'm like that's the money that you gave me for the mic he's like where, where did you get this from i'm like are you kidding me I've been 15 hours every day down there working. And I know you noticed it because you hear everything. <laughs> uh, so I think and I remember him looking up with a like half a smile. And I think that's when he really registered with him that this was my passion and, and everything. But I wasn't just goofing off. Yeah. This could have been a career. And that's when it kind of started. Now, how did you so quickly turn it into something that made money? Because I... At the time, I had to, just like you said, I like you, like, you said that you had to do your own thing, right? Because yeah. you couldn't get involved yeah. with the bigger guys that are already established. Same thing in Italy. I, there was no recording studio. There was no big recording studio, period. But even where the, was this? Near Venice. Okay. Venice. Italy. Italy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So um, in order for me to have or not even have be in a recording studio and work, mm -hmm or music that I liked, hip-hop music, Right. I had to build my own studio because there was no other studios where I could <laughs> do that. There was no, you know, yeah. we were talking a long time ago before the internet and all that, right? And so, um, yeah, I just kind of made the thing happen by myself. Yeah. And then from there, it kind of like grew up and everything. But yeah, so that was the moment where, I, you know. Wait, but let's back up. You didn't say specifically. Uh -huh. How did you make the money that you gave in the envelope to your dad? Oh, yeah. Specifically. Because I built the studio for hip-hop music, there was no other f recording studio for hip-hop music. For So for those three people that knew what hip-hop music was, <laughs> they had to come to me. 
Oh, so you were like renting out the studio and you were you engineering then too? I was producing music. I was recording them. I was editing. I was tuning. I was mixing. I was mastering. I was finding people to do videos. I was finding people to do graphics. The people that printed CDs. I was doing everything basically, which is something that's pretty much the exact opposite of what I do today. But back then and in that market, I had to do that. I had yeah. to do everything. How yeah. did you know to do all that? Because this was before YouTube. So how, how did you know what all these things were? So I did go to audio engineering school right at the right before I opened the first studio. Okay. Um, but, you know, again, teachers, my teachers there were Italian. And not to knock them, you know, like they were OGs. They, were, they knew what they were talking about. But they right. were teaching me how to do whatever you can imagine Italian music to sound like. <laughs> I wanted to do boom bap hip hop from New York. So very far, <laughs> you know, very distant from their sound. So... But the cool thing is that audio is audio. It doesn't really matter, you know, what genre you do. Like a microphone works if you record an opera singer or if you record a Lil Wayne. It's the right. same thing, right? Right. Now, how you do, how you use it, that's a different story, of course. And that part, I learned by trial and error, of course, listening to a lot of records coming out of here and try to say, okay, if that's my frame of reference and I want my stuff to sound like that, similar to how in your world it will be yeah. like you know i want my stuff to look like michael bay or something yeah. okay so what you know what's the you reverse range? engineer for me yeah that's how it's always been for me too i just to look at the ones that are best i'm like okay i break it down what makes it good what yeah. specifically why how does it sound that way and then yeah. just break it down and reverse engineer it. yeah and i remember i think this was maybe like a good maybe seven eight years after opening the first studio maybe later even that you know in the matrix when neo sees the 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 green stuff and it's yes. like okay now i see that that is not there i can do whatever i want yes. i can play with it i remember doing that when um 2001 chronic 2001 dr dre's album came out mm. which is like the holy grail for me of mixing yes that when i started really studying that album i really started to understand how audio worked now why is that album the holy grail of mixing I mean, especially for hip hop, it's Dr. Dre, of course. But even if you listen to that album still today, it's the biggest freaking drums ever. Like it's, it's a, the sound. It doesn't sound huge. like an old record. No, no, no. It's it's. I mean, it's it's a older aesthetic that's no longer a thing today. But sonically, though, yes. Oh my God, the loudest freaking snares, the biggest bass. It's like it's incredible, you know. So for me back then, that album has been imprinted in my DNA for what I do every day mixing records for the world you yeah know? and so that was like the moment where i was like okay i see the matrix now i know what he did i can emulate that yeah so that so trial and error for sure then of course there was some magazines like scratch magazines and you know those, was hip-hop uh, big in italy no in not at all it didn't exist no it how pretty much get, how did you find out about it because audio first i was always in love with audio and mm. the music that had the biggest bass the biggest low end was boom bap hip-hop from new york oh so that's why i was like oh well that's naturally like somebody showed me a tape and i was like oh man look at this thing <laughs> <laughs> and from there i was hooked although back then to me rap music sounded like blah 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 blah, blah. i didn't know what they were saying i didn't speak english right. so it was like you just liked it sonically the, the audio yeah the bass specifically yeah who are other yeah. hip-hop producers that you really enjoy um to me dre for for sure timbaland was probably the num the two like mm. the two big stars around which my hip hop world evolved yeah. around you know uh, those two but then there's a bunch of them you Timbaland know, does a bunch of stuff with his mouth too doesn't he oh, add yeah. like, a bunch of sounds like yeah. Psh, psh, like yeah uh, beatbox yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure for sure what a guy man great um, but yeah, the you know the num the name of producers is countless you know from Eric Sermon to mm. uh, you know 
track masters you know of course i'm dating myself here but you know all the people from the 90s yeah. and or into the Primo, 2000 yeah all that stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. of course bro of course. i love old school hip-hop man yeah. like it's funny because i you know i got into hip-hop in the 2000s but then i went back like i still listen to jay-z reasonable doubt you know what i mean to me if an album sounds good I can listen to it forever. Yeah. Like, I don't just listen to new music because it's new. Right. Like, I would say 90% of what I listen to is the same music. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And maybe 10% of the rotation, I'll let a new album come in every now and then. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. like, I'm still bumping things from the early 2000s, yeah. you know? Because yeah. when it sounds good, I just want to, I want to tune into that frequency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I made a eight hours long playlist of instrumentals, of songs that really informed my taste in music. Uh, and it's playing right now in the lounge of the studio on loop eight hours of instrumentals <laughs> i love that yeah when you come visit you'll hear it <laughs> i want to check it out yeah you know it's nice because you put on that aesthetic and you like tune into the frequency of it right it's like there's a there's a frequency of greatness within these songs that you're playing yeah definitely. right and it sets the mood of like you know we're creating stuff at this level or better that's right i wanted to permeate the building and be there and it's a uh, omnipresent re you know reminder of where i started and what made me fall in love with this you know it's just like same thought is applicable to the fact that i have a video that's on loop again playing all the footage of when we erected the building because i built the building from ground oh, the up. one you have now yeah, yeah, really? yeah so you guys bought the land yeah and then really yeah, nice yeah. so i you know every time i get Congrats in the lounge that. thanks that's thanks. a real property yeah oh, yeah <laughs> and it took a long time a lot of efforts to make it happen you know so uh but yeah so that that screen is always on loop playing you know and every time i walk by to go to the bathroom or come in and out or whatever i'm like oh yeah remember that foundations i remember that or oh yeah remember that front wall yep ac yep <laughs> that's so important <laughs> yeah you know because then otherwise we lose sight and we can take things for granted that's true very true so many of the things that like you know i used to wish to be able to do now they happen they're just like ah oh, it's cool like yeah directed disney commercial sure all right cool Next one. It's just like, wait a minute, what? what? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's it's so interesting how every time we go to a new level, we just get used to it. Yeah. And I'm like, now, of course we do this. And then we go to the next level. It's like, of course we do this. Yeah. So at some point, if we don't look back, it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It could be easy to lose the gratitude. Very true. Uh, at my second studio, I had one of the doors to get into the control room where I left all the tapes with all the name of the channels for each mix that I did yeah and it was like completely covered and i kind of thought of like that's a cool uh, yeah idea. right and it looks really cool actually too and i thought of um picking back up on that uh, on that mm -hmm. thing i never did it though in the big studio because no more consoles right now you know so it's all digital you guys don't do the ssls mm -mm. no more there's no need for it nah right there's only it might, it might look cool to somebody who doesn't know it's like oh lots of buttons but <laughs> i can guarantee you when you see my control room no need for mixers you know, when there's um, technical issues on a live show, what do you do? Oh, I do not do any live shows. You don't do any live shows. Mm -hmm. I always thought about that. Like when there's like a major concert happening and at the front of house, there's a person with like a laptop running it. Yeah. What if that laptop crashes? I know. I know. They usually have redundant systems so that if one fails, the other one is still running. But yeah, that's like a oh shit moment <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I've never been in interested in any uh, concert things. And by things, I mean going to it or mixing for it. Really? Yeah. Mm -mm. It doesn't sound good. You got to stand. It's cold. 
<laughs> Why is it that most times when I see music performances on TV, the mu- the mix is shit? Oh, I know, I know. Is it have we not figured out a way to just prefigure out the mix and just have it send out sounding good? Like, why does it like always? Yeah, yeah, I know. I was just watching BET the other day, and it was like, what is going on here? Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, so usually what happens is this, right? You gotta got you, you gotta have a a guy that runs audio for the earbuds or the speakers on stage, so that the talent can hear what they're singing or playing right, or whatever, the right? yeah so that's one guy to handle all all that and he cannot hear it for the most part unless he you know he previews it in his headphones or whatever but you just never know what it feels like to be on stage and doing that mm-hmm. so that's one guy then you got another guy in the audience so now he's in the middle of the crowd and he can do levels a little bit easier and then there usually is another guy in the in the truck outside that is supposed to be the streaming person. So he right. mixes what audio goes out to TV. But each of these guys first are receiving audio from somewhere else. Right. So if the mic is not working, you know, you can have the guy in a trunk, uh, in a truck yeah. mixing it, but if there's no signal, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So you see it's a cascade uh, effect. Um, I don't know, man. That's It's difficult. It is. I know that. <laughs> it, it's a different kind of a stress level, too. I've shot a couple concerts, and it's like, you know, when you're on set, if something goes wrong, you just do another take. Yeah. Stop, cut, let's do it again. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of margin for error when you're in a studio producing it, right? When you're doing it live, it's Mm-mm. that's the shot. Live in front of people, your audience that's there, <clears throat> and even more so if it's being streamed to millions of people yeah my friend shot coachella the beyonce performance where she started out with the with all the it's like the big stadium it's like the big seating with the 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 marching band Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he had to walk backwards down the stairs holding the camera for like three minutes (laughs) following her like every single step live feed you know and it's like it's interesting because it's, it's almost like a different art form, mm-hmm. filming live. Yeah. Or I'm sure, like you said, you know, it's technically the same technical stuff, but right, the experience right. of doing it yeah, the is pressure. totally different. The pressure, man. That's the one thing about the studio, uh, studio kind of work, and even more so mixing like I do. Yeah. There's basically zero pressure because I, I just do my thing, and whenever I'm done, I send it off. That's it. Right. But, you know, when you're recording, you got talent right there, and they're looking at you like, can we go? Take two, right? Let's go. But if something is, uh, you know, not right, that's <laughs> difficult. <laughs> do you prefer mixing better, mastering, like producing? What's like, what do you like to actively do? Right. So over the years, this answer has changed. In the beginning, I was doing everything because I was in a small market. I was doing small projects, no budgets. So I right. was doing everything. And then as time uh, progressed and my career developed my first plaque started to appear on the walls and then a second the third the 10th and the 20th <laughs> you know i was able to uh, remove a lot of things that i did before that i just didn't like or that i just felt like i wasn't you know i could have not given my best to the world mm. doing that so nowadays i only mix that's all i do mm. so i do not record I, no producing no nothing basically i just mix that's it the, my clients send me the song as it's been recorded or after it's been recorded and uh, it's been edited, tuned, everything. And then I just polish everything and mix it properly, throw a little mastering thing. Psh, now, what's out. the difference between mixing and mastering? 
So when mixing, you got one song, and you have the guitar, the bass, the, the piano, blah, 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 the vocals, everything, right? And you're working on every single component of that song, right? To How balance they relate to each other. Yes, the balances, the effects, the depth, uh, you know, all of these things, okay. right? Once the song is all packed up and it's now an actual song that, that can be used, usually that song is going to go before or after a bunch of others in, a, in an album, right? right? Before we do that, usually mastering, what it does is it looks at, you look at every single song and make sure there's a continuity, like there's fluidity of playback between one song when and the go, other. When it flows from one to the other, it can't be right. too much louder or whatever. Right. Yeah. So we want to have them at the same level, more or less the same EQ, so that when you're blasting the song in your car, going from song two to song three, you don't have to adjust the bass. It's more or less compatible. Right? Gotcha. Now that's you know a very simplistic way to go about it, but to explain what it is. But that's the major difference is that in mixing you're working you know zoom tight into the components of the song. Mastering you just use the entire song right. and you work it with the next ones. There's other things, of course. You want to make sure that uh, your song doesn't have too much stereo information in the low end, for example, because sometimes people use one sub and two speakers. Or one sub in the car. Yeah, like the one I have here. Four. Yeah, there it's one go. sub, See? two speakers, yeah. There you go. So if you have a very stereo, a very wide low end, that thing is not going to be able to reproduce it because it's one woofer. So it can't do stereo, right? right? So that's another example of things that you might want to get addressed in, in mastering also. And of course, the volume, you know, the loudness war. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure that your song is louder than anything else or as loud as anything else or yeah. louder than anything else, actually. <laughs> Um, but without peaking, but without everything. distorting, but yeah. without disintegrating the mix, you know, it's the same thing in video that would be like coloring and matching. Correct. Right. Like, especially when you have things from multiple cameras, like you, once you attune the, sh the hero shot, right. And you match the white levels, the skin tones, the black tones, then you have to match it across all of them. The black level can't be like faded in one and a deep black on the next shot. They all have to feel and people that are watching it like the consumer doesn't even know what it is, of but they can tell when it's off. Mm -hmm. Like I always tell people in video that the, the number one way to make a video look bad is bad audio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know true. what I mean? Cause like you could take almost like a shitty iPhone clip, but if the audio sounds fantastic, it's more, there's something about it. It yeah. just feels right. Yeah. You know? Sure. And then the coloring as well, like color matching is such a science. That's so interesting. Yeah, in fact, even the tools used to color match look like EQs. Right, like with the knobs and everything? Yeah, it yeah. looks very similar, right? And, and also, uh, you might have a shot that you have the deepest darks and a very bright uh, mm -hmm. lights, uh, but then it might not work for the intent of the scene, right? So not everything needs to look like Nat Geo documentaries right. you know some stuff is super super dark because we're trying to communicate that that's right? a matter of taste yeah. once you go past the science of it yeah 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 so that's one of those things where there is no right or wrong there's a lot of choice and taste and usually that's why people choose to work with other people not really for the tools because for the most part we all have the same tools more or less yeah like and we right? generally understand the science right right but right. then it's a taste it's like choosing to shoot it in black and white right exactly, exactly. right or is a square the or square which like is that. coming back yeah. now i know which i, I know, like I it know. <laughs> um so, yeah. you mix donda yeah how was that experience great man it, it was nice it was a good uh one month of getting squeezed by yay <laughs> you know um but it was good it was good uh, with him um 
since I started mixing for him, you know, way back when, his indications are usually on vocals and they're very, very simple indications. So you are given like a, a specific set of instructions that he wants. And, and these instructions usually are for this little part. The rest of it, no word has been said about it. So <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll just do my thing. And that's exactly like if you listen to Donda all the way through 32 songs. Yeah. That's like more than 90% my mix, basically. That's amazing. Because there was no, uh, almost no input on the music side of things. And I, uh, you know, there's a lot of music. By uh, input, you mean direction, as in make he, it this way, make it that yeah, way. Yeah, He kind of gives you the bare materials, right? Yeah, and just do your thing. That's it. And that was really cool, you know, because out of my very large toolbox, he specifically told me, don't use this tool and that tool and that tool. I'm like, okay, I get rid of those three. I have still a thousand, so. That's so interesting, right? Because yeah. I, I remember I saw Steve Jobs saying that design isn't just what you include in a product, it's what you don't include. Oh, totally, totally. So it's interesting that Kanye told you what tools not to use. Yeah. Then yeah. everything else was yours. Yeah, it was like, do your thing, you know? And well, I tried some things and sometimes, some things we did remove. Sometimes he would come up with some ideas that I'm like, that's crazy, but I always, it doesn't matter who is on the other side of the line, you know? Right. Whatever requests or ideas or suggestions come my way, I always try them, you know? And you give it an audition. How yeah. Is it? Yeah. And eight to maybe nine times out of 10, it freaking works and it's great. <laughs> what was your first time meeting and working with Ye? Uh, I mixed uh, an album, 88 Keys album back in 2009, I want to say, or something like that. Yeah. Ye executive produced the whole album and he was on one of the songs called he was on Stay, Stay Up. Up. Yeah. I yeah. remember that track. Yeah. Stay Up. So Stay that was Up. my yeah. first mix for him. That was great. Yeah. And that then you also did um, Dude, prelude. that was like more than 10 years ago. That's crazy, right? It's like 14 years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you also did Jay-Z Kingdom Come, the prelude track, That's right? correct. That's, um, that record right there is a very special one for me, and it's, uh, it has a very big space in my heart and in my lounge because that's my first double platinum award that I've ever gotten. Dude, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and it yeah. sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah, man. That is one of my favorite Jay-Z intros. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like yeah. especially with that sample of like what the fuck you gonna Dude, do except hustle. No, 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 no. Oh like yeah, I get goosebumps right now just thinking oh, yeah, about man. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah that what was, was that great. experience like? Me did you were you in a studio with Jay or was it no. just sent to you? No, no, no. Uh, most of the times I'm not with the artist in the studio. Okay. Um, most of the times I do my thing and I send it off and that's really it. And most of the times I deal with the producers, not the artists. Mm. So that changes, of course. But I want to say at least half the time I work with the producers. Because they have more of a say in what you're doing. Yeah, in right? fact, most of the times they are the ones that pick the mixers also. So, of course, that starts the relationship. But also, you know, artists don't, they, they're not usually that into that kind of stuff. They're, they're like, not usually that opinionated about it. You know, like I did my verse, man. Like, just make it fucking work, you know? <laughs> Same. Like if somebody hires me to yeah. direct something, I pick my colorist and I yes. pick my, yeah, my yes. gaffer or whatever. Yeah. And, and I want to say also most of the times for big artists like celebrities, I'm pretty sure they don't even know who I am. They don't even know that I exist, you know? Not everybody, you know? Right, Some right. people, of course, are more into um, the technicalities of making albums than others. But I'm pretty sure Jennifer Lopez does not know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty. Sh I am sure of it. <laughs> it's funny, so. right? Because it's like uh, uh, the when people see the resume, they make all these assumptions. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there was a summer where I was a lead editor for Playboy, 
and they assumed that I was like at the mansion <laughs> just doing it up. It's like, no, I was in a room in Burbank with like four other right. dudes just right. cutting stuff. Yeah. 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 That's kind of how it is. Yeah. But you yeah. know, I love it. You know, I, I like the fact that I'm a behind the scenes guy, uh, you know, uh, the occasional thing like this, I'm totally fine with it. I'm not, I'm not shy or anything. In fact, I'm all over cameras when I got to film a video for my YouTube channel. That's not a problem. Um, but, you know, it is my role to be a support of talent. And, and I'm happy with that. Absolutely. How long did it, does it take you to mix a song normally? Um, hard to say, but I would say something in between eight hours and maybe 15, something like that. And that's, that's a wide range. I understand that, but it really depends entirely on how the song has been structured and recorded. Uh, song like, uh, Ed Sheeran kind of song, vocal and guitar, and that's yeah. it. Oh, that doesn't take 15 hours, of course, you right. know, but a song that's, you know, 300 tracks tall and, <laughs> you know, five minutes long or something that takes a lot, a lot more time, obviously, you know, imagine I got to go through each of these tracks and make sure I solve problems. Number, number one, I make it interesting. Number two, and then all of these need to work with one another. So there is no great kick drum if it doesn't talk to the snare. There is no drums if they don't talk to the bass. You know, there's all yeah. these back and forths, uh, back and forth activities that happen constantly. So you know, I zoom into one sound, do all of my, uh, you know, um, surgical kind of interactions. Great with the isolated yeah. recording or sample or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and I'm look, I'm zooming way into the song, right? But no one will ever hear it that way. <laughs> well, you just tweak the one right? thing, just yeah. compress it a little bit or whatever. Yeah. So sometimes that's more a matter of fixing a problem. And I, of course, do that. But yeah. then I got to zoom all the way out to bird's eye view of how the fans are going to hear it because it doesn't matter if the 57 hertz is now working on the kick drum. They don't care. It, <laughs> no, they don't need to. Yeah. So I need to make sure that I always, I'm always back and forth, especially in the beginning of the song that I'm a lot more into each of the tracks. And then when the song starts to really exist, I'm a lot more out and I'm looking at the entire vision of it. You know, my idea always is I got to fix problems first, of course. Uh, then I got to make sure that the energy is going hand in hand with the composition. So if there's a song, say like a chorus that explodes, right? The engineer needs to go with that explosion. It needs to do, it needs to lift up because when the song is being played in front of a hundred thousand people, I want to get that reaction. Yes. And that reaction of course comes from the music, but the music is being delivered to them via a container that is the mix. Yes. So that container needs to adjust for that and deliver that intent that the producers and the artists well, and it, it's interesting because even for, for a project like Donda, where he released it out in sections with all the, the release parties, we kind of got to see it evolving mm -hmm. in the mix yeah, and everything. Developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you working remote on that too, or were you at the stadium? So I came in after the second listening party in Atlanta. Okay. So first two uh, have, you know, the music that have been played in the first two events, I didn't have anything to Was do with. that just like a Mike Dean rough mix? Yes, at that correct, point? Yeah. correct. And then after that, I I think there was maybe three weeks or so in between the la the second show in Atlanta and not the show the you know the, the, listening, the party listening party and the final one in Chicago correct and I think there was about three weeks or so in between in between those I basically maybe more than three weeks now that I'm thinking anyway in between those uh, uh, two shows I mixed the whole thing and as I was saying earlier it takes me about a day to do a, a song right so yeah. thirty days. 32 songs yeah that's cutting it kind of tight considering all the revisions and all right uh and the first week i did at the stadium yes so right after the second and you show, guys were all just living there 
in the no i was at a hotel you were at a hotel but you guys were working at it yes yes what'd you think of that choice of that aesthetic um it was great for yay it was very bad for me of course yeah because you know mixing has all to do with the decision of the engineer based on what he or she hears the acoustics and what i'm hearing comes out of speakers but there is no such thing as listening to the speakers only the speakers are always in a room right it's bouncing on the walls in the yeah. locker room it so, doesn't have the, the 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 pads correct so the what eventually comes to your uh, hearing is a combo of what's been generated by the speaker plus the room mm. so i was in a room that was a freaking locker room so obviously not the best not even close to the a decent <laughs> environment for me to do it it's so, actually a challenging environment totally yeah so for the first week or so where i w when i was there i was 90 percent on, on headphones because mm. the headphones at least removed the variable of the room right and a little bit on on speakers because we did have speakers but it was like kind of silly you know to use the speakers like and i did but you know right so that was the first chunk and then the second one was uh, i want to say three or four days in a studio in atlanta okay. nearby actually so that was already like a step up but it wasn't my studio and so, so you didn't have all you your know, toys and the acoustics and not to talk shit but you know yeah. i have the f the best freaking room on the planet to make and i'm not saying that because it's mine it's the other way around i made it that way <laughs> <laughs> you know and and so it was again kind of silly for me to be in a studio where it's like all right i'm i'm seeing more now but i'm still kind of operating like this right you know so i'm seeing better but and by seeing i mean hearing of yeah course. do uh, you see music do you have no no i don't have what is it called synesthesia, synesthesia yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I don't. But um, but it's a good parallel, you know, to explain to people that if you put a, an engineer in a room where it's not properly designed, tuned, acoustically treated, and everything, it's kind of like driving like this. You or can kind of see color it with like glare on the, on the right. screen. It's like right, with the right. sun. It's like you can't even tell where the levels right, are. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, what so was that, your favorite track that you mixed oh, on Donda? I I don't know if I have one. Uh, they're all amazing, you know. Um, I, there's a few where I took some liberties of doing some funky stuff that only engineers will pick on, I guess. Uh, uh, for example, there's one where I put the Hammond uh, B3 uh, left hand, so like the bass line that's coming off of the keyboard, right, okay. or, or organ. I put that in a stereo field, which is, you know, like I was saying earlier, stereo for bass, not really... Uh, a good thing to do <laughs> or not not i shouldn't say not good just a little bit challenging and risky let's right. say that <laughs> it's risky so i did that in the stereo and then the 808 is in the middle so that's like a, a somewhat of a typical approach for mixing but it's a little bit daring because um, i have that thing you know what track was out. that on um that was uh shit let me think so many tracks in that album yeah i know um let me look at the track and is that why albums sound better in cars because I feel like there's more surround sound in cars. Uh, it's usually because a lot of uh, cars, stereos nowadays, are designed for the cabin, for the greenhouse. Mm. So it's similar to how, uh, um, you know, um, a studio is designed to sound a certain way. Yeah. The cabin of the car is determined by the shape of it, by the design. And so when the uh, guys that study audio for that car come into play they know they have that to work with and also there's no reverb in ah. cars so that it's it's a it's a twofer i guess yeah. hold on let me look it up oh that's the click again 
that song is Pure Souls. Oh, that's a fantastic yeah. track. Pure Souls. Yeah. But it, I can't pick one. You know, they're all. They're There's all so great. many good sounds yeah. in there. Yeah, Off yeah. the Grid, Hurricane, Pure Souls. A lot of deep cuts on that one. Yeah, incredible producers, uh, incredible songwriters. I mean, you know, it's Kanye West. <laughs> what other projects have you worked on that you're like, I know you're proud of probably all of them, but which ones really stick out to you? The ones that you personally are like, man. Um, I, about 10 years ago, I started only working on things I really like. So basically my guys, every time an inquiry comes in, first thing they ask is for us to hear the sample of music. If it's an album, just one song is enough to just to kind of get the vibe. So since then, I've been only basically working on stuff that I love. That's and great. so I'm very, very proud of, uh, you know, putting my name onto a project, mm -hmm. my heart, of course, my attention and my passion. Uh, so it's very hard for me to say, pick one that sticks out. But those that are a little bit more challenging, of course, are more interesting than others in a way, but just for the technical, not for the music itself, right? Because you're proud of how you solve the problem, you mean? Yes, or maybe because it's a weird uh, circumstance like the headphones in the in mic locker or yeah. in the, I mean, in the, in the locker room and things like that, right? So for example, I just finished mixing all the music for Street Fighter VI, the video game. Nice. All of it, like the entire music in that video game I mixed, everything. That's amazing. So the interesting thing about that is that um, every uh, track that's been played while uh, the player is playing, right? Uh, I delivered a mix, so like the left and right, the, mm -hmm. the, the print, the master, so the mix plus the master, and then also the stems, very detailed, so groups of instruments that are separated on different tracks because as the player is playing the music, whatever happens in the video game affects the audio. Right. If so, there's a punch, if there's a Hadouken or whatever. Right. Imagine an explosion, bass goes away. Oh, so that the, because if the bass is happening while the explosion's happening, they're going to compete. Correct. So it's like it automatically triggers it. All wow. AI based. So it's not just like a limiter or a compressor or something. It's all based on an onboard choice made by the computer at that moment. So that means that the fluid experience of the player, you, they, even the makers of the video game don't know what they're gonna get because they're programming, okay, if this happens, then do this. If this happens, then do this. Right. But they don't know. So every experience of every player is gonna be different. That's Isn't that amazing. something? Another example, it, imagine a song with three, with three verses. Okay. Each of the three verses has an alternative. So it's really nine verses. And so, if player one got to that spot and heard verse two last time, now player one gets to that same spot again, now he hears verse three or verse 2A or 2B. Wow. If player two gets to that same spot, I hear a different verse of the same song. So it's a very similar experience, but it's not the same one. Wow, I didn't even know games did that. Is that a new yeah. thing that video games I are doing? I think so. I th I'm, wow. I'm not into video games per se. I'm not a player, so yeah. I, I don't really know. Uh, the extent of the technology, but as they explained that to me, because of course I needed to be aware of what to deliver to them sure. once the mixes were approved, right? 
it was like, wow, man, this is incredible. Like, That's this awesome. is awesome. <laughs> that must have been it's such, it's so interesting to, to put together the logistics and the science of it with the yeah. creativity of yeah. it, right? Because those things do matter. Yeah. Like, even the explosion example, yeah. if they compete, it's just like. Yeah, yeah. And not to mention, there's dialogue on top of this. Mm. So, oftentimes, I want to say maybe half of the music that on, that's on the video game while playing is instrumentals because there's speeches and, you know, Ew, psh, ow, you know, those kind of things. Right. <laughs> and who mixes that? Is that separate from yours? That That's not mixed because that's, again, AI on board. Wow. It's live. So somebody has recorded and I'm sure there's has been some degree of mixing. Right. But all the levels and stuff and the dialogue, it's all on board and it's fluid. <laughs> it's crazy. That's incredible. It's crazy. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. Do you ever do any classical music? I have done some before, yes. There's a lot less engineering, creati creative engineering that goes into those kind of things. Oftentimes, the intensity of the instrument that and how it's been played comes from the taste of the musician, you know? Right. So there's a lot of more microphones that are usually used for those kind of things, but less... Um, and how, tampering with. how big the room is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I've done that before, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it, man. Me it's, too. It's I love really listening to like um, Hans Zimmer. He did the opening uh, yeah. song to Planet Earth 2. Yeah. I love listening to that kind of stuff. It's Dude, the first time I recorded a string quartet, and this was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, maybe more actually, they were sitting in front of me and I was setting up the mics. And as, you know, they started, they tuned up. And then once they did, they started playing the piece that we were about to record just as, as a rehearsal. And I was right there. And dude, I kid you not, I cried. Like that energy l went through my body. It was like such an incredible experience. I tell you, man. And it was just four dudes just playing, you know, like the vibrations of the real <sighs> instruments it was going crazy. to you. It was crazy. I cry. Like I said, man, like it's like what? <laughs> I believe it. It was such an emotional moment. You know, it was really, really interesting. There's a different quality to it. You know, my parents, they're both classical ballet dancers. Oh, no way. So I grew up, you know, going to a lot of those, you know, where they would have the full orchestra, you know, and that was wow. the orchestra or, yeah, right, yeah. when it's all the instruments. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and just seeing it with that, you know, it's it vibrates differently. Oh, yeah. It really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something different, man. And the, the other interesting thing is most of the times the thickness of an orchestra comes from the, mi the minor discrepancies in pitch and tuning from one player to the other which is like so the error the mistake is what makes that texture wow you cannot do that Never on auto tune that, right because if you have a bunch of different people with violins and they each just tweak it slightly different exactly yeah and you know even just the position of the finger or the tuning of the instrument or i mean they, they are doing the, the correct note of course but that little cents, you know, three cents, 20 cents that are off, yeah. that's what makes the orchestra sound so thick. If you auto-tune each, you know, if you record a violin and as a single track, right? And then tune it and then mul multiply that track, it is not going to sound like an it's orchestra because it's tuned. Well, it's the same with vocals, right? If you want a choral yeah. sound, that, right? Nice. You can't just have two people make them sound like 20. Right. When you actually have 20 people singing, it's a different mm -hmm. thing. And especially not tuned. Like yeah. if you use a digital tuning thing, like a Melodan or Autotune or whatever, it's going to flatten it all out. <laughs> what do you think about using products like Autotune? Uh, how do you like, or do you use that much in the mixing part or is that only more on the producing side? It's more on the recording side, but yes, of course I use it and it's usually on my sessions that I inherit from the producers, but I also sometimes use it myself, of course. Yeah. I am all for all kinds of tools. They are tools though, nonetheless. So 
it's kind of like, you know, you can't really judge a screwdriver. I mean, it's, you need it. Is it the right size? It works? Good. You got a problem solved. Yeah. That's kind of how I look at it. Um, but that being said, like I said, I don't, uh, I don't discriminate. I don't care about the brand of, two, of plugins and I don't care if so, such and such uses it. Does it work for what I'm trying to do? Yes or no? Cool. That's it. Is there any, um, is there anything that you used to like that you don't like anymore tool wise? Like, is there something that you just like, oh, that tool is done. Whenever you use the mixer, the SSLs yeah. and the Neves, all of that stuff. <laughs> well, not the, it's not the product itself or the brand. It's not, it's the actual console. I don't. That big board yeah. that looks like. And the, I say that as I own one, I still own one. <laughs> and, and yet in the new studio, they didn't put one in. Now, is that just because digitally you can do the same or you can do better digitally? Or is it just not, does it make sense to have a big thing in the room? 20 years ago, you needed a mixer. 10 years ago, it was better to have it. Now, it's, it's actually a downside to have it. Why? It takes real estate space mm. that is acoustically going to be a problem. It's a flat surface for the most part. You need more space. So that means less chairs for the clients, right? You need power going into it all the time. You need AC blowing on it all the time. You got maintenance and then recallability. It's never like easy as it's definitely not as easy as Pro Tools where it's like click, click, bloop, mix is there. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's impossible. And, um, do you I still have physical knobs you touch? No. Really? You do I'm, it all with the mouse? I mouse around all day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Um, about 10 years ago, the the need for the console was still there because you wanted the sound of the console. And there is a sound to the console, no doubt about it. And that's still true today. But even if you want that, you're still committed to one sound of one console. That's it. Right. On Pro Tools, you can emulate anything. So why bother? Yeah, it's like how cameras shoot in RAW yeah. and log, right? So then you can send the color however you want to. Mm -hmm. You don't burn the color into it anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Because why? Why? Why commit to that one right now? Because maybe you you you're making that choice when you're outside and there's a lot of light and <laughs> yeah. you see you think you're seeing what you think you're seeing, <laughs> but then you get back in a dark room. It's like oh, yeah. It's the same thing with the with the studio stuff. You know, it's like nah. So no console. The age of consoles is done. Did you ever record analog like on the tapes? Yes. Does yes. that have a special quality in the way that film has a special quality? Yes identical so you can still achieve it in digital it's clunkier to work on it but there's still something to it so yes with that I, there's still a thing do people still ask for that like when was the last time you used it 10 years ago oh so, so there you nah. go <laughs> so they just put the filter that makes it sound like it yeah it's very not practical you know you can't do you can do everything on tape just like you do on pro tools for the most part but it's a lot more work it's a lot more difficult it's clunkier you know it's technology from 40 years ago yeah. And, and I remember, you know, and obviously I'm a video guy, but I appreciate all the levels of art. I, there's two songs where I remember hearing about them recording it in an interesting way. And that was Sexy Back with Timberlake. I thought the vocals were recorded through a guitar amp or something like that. Maybe oh, yeah. 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 And did they do it? In, I don't know if you were involved with it or not, but the pre or post for Runaway with Kanye at the end when it's like super distorted. Was, do you know if it was recorded that way or if it was made to be that way after? I can... Uh so I, I can only guess, but I would say that it happened after because mm. you wouldn't really commit to that sound immediately because then tuning is a lot difficult, more difficult and editing is a lot more difficult. So the way I would approach it is let's just record it clean and then we can do whatever we want 
after the fact. That's so interesting. It's so similar to video. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, because yeah, you know, there's people that still sell like black and white film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's wow. like you're fully committed to the black and white. Yeah. It's like, man, you better be very sure yeah. that that's exactly what you want. Yeah, I did an album with this band before I went to see them. You know, before this, the studio session, I went to see them live. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you guys are like so tight. We can really consider doing it on tape. And we did. Wow. But that's because I knew the talent was there. You know, it wasn't like... Because of how they were playing the instruments? Yeah, they were they were just spot on. They were just playing like perfect. You know who sounded like that to me when I first time I saw them live? I think I was filming them. It was Imagine Dragons. Mm. I remember I, I was a cinematographer for the Riot Fest in Chicago. And, was, and I never heard of them before. And, you know, when you're filming by the stage, you got to wear the, the earplugs. Yeah. It sounded so good that me and the other guys, it was just like... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt my ear what <laughs> wow it's nice when you uh when, when things just feel right like that when the vibration oh, yeah. just hits the right way yeah, yeah, yeah i also really like music or sound mixing in movies like a really good sound mixing like um uh dunkirk mm -hmm. have you seen that movie i haven't oh christopher I'll, nolan it's fantastic they, i'll check it out they just have these scenes where they make these uncomfortably long pauses like there's a scene where this this fighter pilot like lands in the water and he's like about to die and the shot just stays there with him as the water's feeling in and you're hearing his heart and the water and the thing and there's no music it's just sound mixing for like a minute wow. and you're just there and then you hear bullets going by and everything it's like wow f for a video guy i care so much about audio <laughs> <laughs> it's important it makes the experience different like <clears throat> most times when i'm driving home and i'm like listening to music in the car and when i park I'll stay there for like a couple <laughs> songs <laughs> because the way things sound in the car, that surround, that bass coming up from mm -hmm. underneath me, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense now because the, the speakers in a car were made for that car. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like I just buy whatever I want to buy and throw it in my room. It's not like my speakers were made for my room. Right. That would take a whole engineering process. Right. right. So that's right. why it's different. Now, yeah. I've heard of uh, mixers when, you, like, when you're working on a project don't people sometimes take it to a car to see how it would sound in like a kind of a shitty stereo or something? Throw it in a Honda. Mm -hmm. How does it sound? Do you ever do that? Absolutely. The famous car test. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What car do you use for that? Um, I've used my BMW for the longest. Now, in the past five months, I haven't. I haven't car tested anything because I don't need to. Because that room know. I'm in, it's fucking perfect. What's the name of the studio? Studio Beat 3. Studio B3. That's the name of the whole thing? Mm -hmm. I dig it. Why'd yeah. you call it that? Because my first studio was called Studio Beat. I used to make beats in that studio. Studio Beat, of oh, course. Oh, Beat 3. Yes, yes, yes. And then the second one was called Studio Beat 2. <laughs> so this one was... Very clever. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because the first one, I still have a slip map from one of my turntables hanging in the bathroom of, of the Studio, studio Beat 3 that says Studio Beat. No number. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be a two or a three. <laughs> so Studio Beat 3 is at least 50% better than Studio Beat 2. Oh, man, it's a lot better. One could say it's even three times better than Studio Beat 1. Oh, no, no, no. Way more than, <laughs> mo way more than that. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. think it's just the fact that now you can afford to buy all the toys or that you know which ones go good together? Um, the main difference is that Studio Beat 3 has been... The building in which Studio B3 is has been erected for a recording studio. That's mm. the major so difference. So like the AC, the space, all it's that. It's all stuff. concrete also. All Why? of it. Why does that matter? 
because it's a lot of matter. <laughs> it's a lot of mass. And a lot of mass contains vibrations. So the, the music that I'm playing in there cannot go nowhere. It's going to stay there. You mean from room to room and also from the whole building to the neighbors? Correct. Both. Both, Both. yes. But then yeah. you still need to add soundproofing and all the foam things and all that kind of stuff. But you mean the base of the building being concrete would be different than if it was wood or brick or something? Yes, yes. So if it was wood, it would be a lot more permeable. Like the v vibrations could go in and out a lot easier than if it's like a thing like this of solid concrete, mm. you know? So it's a lot more dense. And that allows us to have a lot more containment in vibrations. Is know? that something that every studio knows or you figure this out? Like, why doesn't every studio do that if that's the best way? Because it costs a lot of money and a lot of time. Six years it took me to build this building. Really? Yeah. It, six years to, like, you know, think about it, do the blueprint, find Everything, yeah. From inception to today, it's been six years, yeah. Wow. Two years of construction of the outer shell only. Two years, man. So that's two years of you not making a return on it just and, and spending like 20 30 50 thousand dollars a week it's a lot of money man it's a lot of money it that's the reason why not a lot of studios are made like that it costs a lot of money you're going to lose a lot of space so whatever the size of the external shell is once you start building another room inside that does not touch that you're shrinking in all directions a lot Mm. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. <laughs> right, because you got to leave space in between for the plumbing, for the electricity and all that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and just to not have the two rooms touch. So that's, that's a lot of space. And then add to that bass traps. And with huge speakers like I got, I, there's no limit in the bass frequency. There's literally no limit. So that means that all that bass that's being reproduced in the front wall needs to be stopped in the back wall. And the only way to do it is with real estate, space. So it shrinks everywhere in all directions. Just to give you a, a number, the room that contains the studio, concrete room all around, including the ceiling, was 12 feet tall. Okay. Now, the lowest point in the studio is barely over seven, from 12 to seven. That's all space that's gone. I mean, it's there, of course, but, you know, wow. cannot be used. And that's in the vertical, but it's, it's the same thing in all directions. Is that for the soundproofing? Yeah. Soundproofing and for the acoustics of the interior so it's it's a combo basically yeah dude congratulations yeah man. and it sounds amazing man <laughs> i i can promise you there's been i've i've let you know dozens of people more than dozens, like hundreds of people hear that room and everyone that comes in there they're like i've never heard music like this and i was Ooh. the first one to say that with nsns stupid speakers with no bass at all and I, the when i first fired them up i was like whoa this thing sounds incredible and they're the trashiest speakers ever <laughs> <laughs> even the click of the mouse sounds unique in there <laughs> it's crazy Dude, i want to go you i want to go over come there visit. Yeah. come visit we should have uh, done this here i mean right? over there <laughs> i mean we could have this is great this looks amazing dude i i like whenever i go to my producer friends and they have really good speakers i like just bring it like can i play the song there i just want to see how song my favorite songs sound mm -hmm. with like proper speakers mm -hmm. and you're like ah. mm -hmm. yeah yeah if you get to choose something with deep deep bass oh man it's over that thing is incredible what are your goals now um about a year ago i started doing a four days week uh, which is a luxury that I can only, you know, afford mm -hmm. now because it's, it's been a long journey of working 12 hours every day, yeah. nonstop for three months, you know? Right. So uh, the goal of reducing the hours by 
um, bringing up the quality and the magnitude of projects that I do. Yes. That's a very big goal. And it's been going on this as um, one of my goals for a long, long time. But, you know, of course, it doesn't take, uh, you know, a snap of a finger to make it happen. So I want to continue to do more of that. You know, I, I work on a lot of big projects, but I don't make celebrities every day. And not that I want to. I just yeah. want to mix great music every day, you know. But, of course, if the great music comes with, a billion streams or two or well over two like Donda. Hey, yeah. that's great. You know, <laughs> that's, that's major, you know? So that's, an, uh, that's definitely one of my, uh, goals. Um, the other goal is to enlarge even more my team. Now I got basically four guys, four or five guys, uh, that work with me. Uh, I want to do more. I want to do more on, um, you know, expanding what I offer to this community that has given me so much, you know, the musicians uh, locally in L.A., but not necessarily only here. You know, the Internet is worldwide. So so I want to do ma- more of that. Um, and then, um, yeah, on the personal side of things, you know, I, I'm a car nut. So I collect cars and I fix cars and I, I want to expand my collection in that. Yeah, you pulled up in your uh, DeLorean. I got to go check that out. You know it. <laughs> the doors to go this way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's cool, too, what you said about the four-day work week. I, I'm kind of approaching that phase, too, in that um, for me to achieve twice as more at this point is not about working twice as many hours. It actually is about reducing yeah. and being deeper, having deeper impact. And sometimes part of that process means if I know I have a really big production day coming up, having the day before be an off day for me to go meditate or do whatever. That's part of the investment into that project, yeah. right? So instead of packing my whole schedule, it's like, how can me and my team show up at a deeper level yeah. to each project? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And selection and uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, delegation. That's very, very difficult. For any business owner that founded the business and yes. started it, it's super difficult. Uh, I struggle with that. Same. <laughs> but, same. you know, uh, that's important to learn and you know, delegate. What I recently learned, because, you know, over the pandemic, it's been like my best business year ever, you know, where financially things started started going really well. And, you know, I have a team now. And at first I was just delegating like everything. And then I realized that I was like, wait a minute, but but there's still some stuff that I want to (laughs) do. You know what I mean? So now I'm figuring out, wait a minute, minute, specifically what should I delegate and how to do it? Because it's not just a matter of just passing it off, right? Because at the beginning of delegating, it was like, well, I can do it in one day, but it's going to take me three days to teach them how to do it. But once I teach them how to do it, then they can keep going. So right. at first, the resistance was that, was sacrificing the short-term completion for that long-term process, yeah. right? Then I did so much of that, I passed everything off. And I was like, well, now I'm not, I'm not doing shit. I, I, want <laughs> I, I do want to edit something. You know, I have like four editors now, which is great because I've been editing for 20 years. But it's like, I miss, I want to edit the stuff that I want to edit. Right. You know, as long as all the things that have to be done are done, there's like, okay, cool. I get to come in here and play. Right. That's, that's m- more of what I'm into now, you know, because it's like, I think at some point I also do so much art as a service for others that I forget to also just create just for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with that. I love creating for others. Everything is a service. Service is beautiful, but it's nice to make room so that your process is enjoyable. Right, right, right. Very important. And that creative outlet should be that, an outlet. And so if you manage to turn your biggest passion in your career, like both me and you did, 
that's amazing, but you still have that creativity that needs to go somewhere for some things, you know? So for me, it's been bow ties and cars, I guess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that a wood bow tie? Yes. yes, oh, yes, yes. that's swaggy. <laughs> yeah. Created in Cali. Yeah, my buddy Brian made this. Amazing. I dig it, man. What do you do for fun outside of all this? Uh, cars. That's, I think, you know, I play what, around What about cars. them? Like, is it, do you like work on them? Do you like yeah. fix them? So because I only drive old cars and, and like really old, like the oldest one I got is a 65 Cadillac. So it's very wow. old. Yeah. Uh, so I like, there's always something, you know, there's always something either to fix or to upgrade. And I like to do resto mods on the cars, meaning like I restore them to what they are supposed to be. But then I also do modifications. So I add new things to it. So like uh, all my cars have like cameras everywhere and digital rear view mirrors and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Sick. <laughs> Wi-Fi. What got you into that? <laughs> oh, I've always loved cars. I just couldn't afford them for the longest. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've had this itch for a long, long, long time. I love that. Yeah. Whenever I see a, a classic car driving down the street, it always catches my eye. Mm -hmm. Everybody's always like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. something so beautiful about it they're unique they have different weird proportions that you know my cadillac is like 20 feet long 20 feet that's <laughs> like a bus <laughs> it's huge you know um, my delorean is like this tall it's super low you know like the, the the measurements and the dimensions are all off on those cars you know well not off they're just like nowadays car they're yeah. different yeah they're way bigger you know in all directions you don't have any Modern? Uh, uh, yeah, or desire for modern cars? Or is your desire, like your next car you're going to buy, is it going to be a new thing or another vintage? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, my lady drives a modern car, so whenever it rains or if that's like a serious er errand that I got to do, I would take that car. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I would show up with, a, you know, like a clown. And <laughs> what are you doing with that? You know? um, but no, I don't have a desire of a modern car. Um, I've, I've done the very expensive car thing, new, great, you know, that's great. It's amazing, great performances and everything. But inevitably, you get looked at like a douche, you know. <laughs> and it didn't spark joy. I mean, it was great and it was super luxurious and, and everything, yeah. but it's not. I like it, don't get me wrong. And I would probably going to get another one of those eventually. Yeah. Um, but I like unique cars. There's so much, like wherever I take these cars, it's like I get this. Like on the street, like that. And it's, it's, uh, it's such a joy, you know, people come and talk to, to me and ask me about this and, you know, they just want to take pictures or whatever. I it's such that. a sociable moment. You know, all those cars are to be shared. Unlike, you know, like a very fast car, like a Ferrari Lamborghini or something like that, where it's like you just gunning it and you don't share that. You just go in as fast as possible, right? Right. Uh, these cars, you know, you take to car shows and... Do you take them to car shows? All the time. All the, I know in, in Glendale, there's one once a year, right? There's like a big one over there. Yeah, by the mall, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't make it. It was it was actually uh, two weeks ago. I, I didn't take it because uh, just like now, I still have a missing piece of the car. So oh. I, I was like, I'm not going to show it like that. <laughs> I love that. But yeah. And then where do you keep them all? They all are just sitting in the garage somewhere? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I drive them. I drive them all the time. Do you, like, do you go to like the drive-thru and like a Cadillac? Yeah, Does yeah, it yeah. fit through a drive-thru? Um, so the 20-foot long one? <laughs> the, the turning radius in all those cars is a little bit, you know, you got to watch it. Yeah. Um, drive-thrus and the bars or those things where you put the ticket to get out, yeah. it's more complicated in the DeLorean because the window is this tall. Right. <laughs> so you got to do the door and you got to watch out for, you know, any obstacles above it. The Cadillac is a, a lot easier because, you know, you just roll it down and it's, it's like you do that. You know, that's easy. 
it's, but it's but the, interesting that um not to cut you off that that quality doesn't mean less effort as a matter of fact in your case the things that you call more quality to your experience are mm. actually more effortful no totally right and i think sometimes we conflate things being easy with things being good right when in reality the, the things that you're passionate about require effort totally like it's it's work like and there's people that like build tables for fun <laughs> right. you know or whatever right, like right. you like you put these cars together it's not like you have a bit like you don't rent them out as a business do you or, or maybe i do oh you I do? do i do but enough to drive not like to drive. filming videos oh, things nice. like that yeah yeah but your passion you got them primarily just because you like no 100 percent. yeah yeah but you know of course i there's there's a business there and obviously for my line of work i, I know guys like you that call yeah. me hey can i use your delorean or <laughs> this or that for this video and it has happened and it does happen all the time does the DeLorean have that sound the revving sound from the movie the like high pitch like like uh i'm told that the engine noise in the movie was that of a porsche really but i can't super guarantee that the deloreans have a little bit of a whistle sound that you so you notice that because it kind of sounds like like that like that you notice that You'll you'll hear it when I when when I turn isn't on. there like a whole community of people that own DeLoreans? Totally, There's like a whole like a society and all of these cars have their clubs, and I'm part of it, and they're all unique and whatever you. Um, there's there's a little bit of. Um, personality of that group of people yeah. and i love that i love that yeah. and they're all different you know like the the lorian people are usually a lot nerdier uh the cadillac people are usually older they're different you know they're right i, I like it I, and i belong to both because I, <laughs> I totally fit in both <laughs> i like how passions create these like sub communities totally totally right and you probably all have different jobs or whatever but yeah. you get to connect on that thing and that's the beautiful thing about car shows at the car shows almost never you talk about your job you show up it doesn't matter if you're like a billionaire next to a guy that's like 16 years old and that's the first car and it's all beat up it right. doesn't really matter you just you, talk about the passion you talk about the passion yeah. and i love that especially because i adore what i do of course but it's been 20 plus years that i've been doing this every day you know so yeah. i don't want to say i'm worn out but i do need a little bit of oxygen in a different realm hence the four days week and you know the going out and hang out with people that are not you know a manager of some rapper you know <laughs> which again i don't want to like i love that you know no, I, I do but i totally get it you need some oxygen from right it. it's just like you know uh, you love your girlfriend but sometimes you want to kick it with the dudes right yeah. and you want to just like shoot the shit with the guys or yeah. or just like you and you don't want to do only this or that sometimes you need you know mom and dad mom and uh, and dad time right you know or sometimes you need uh you know alone grandma time or whatever you know, yeah. alone time exactly yeah and it's not like one is more important than the other they're just two different things and as you know multi-faceted personalities that we all are you need to feed every single part of your and sometimes Being, you know? one thing, like there could be like a, a realization or a vibration that you get from one passion mm -hmm. that's unrelated here, but it transfers over. Totally. Right? Like we recently got into playing tennis. So random. Never thought I would like it. But now we love tennis. We play, we're going to play after this, you know? Right. And it's just like, even if it's just for 20 minutes, just get in there, blah, 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 blah. It's like it, it changes the state. Yeah. You know? Or like it's important to have different outlets to connect to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is that glue, that bond that connects you to other people, yeah. uh, which with which I would have never really connected. And that's kind of sad because, you know, that's a great person that I just met because of this vehicle, you know, yeah. and now we're friends. And we're friends. And when you're friends, there's no second motive or anything. It's just like, 
I like your vibe. I like your car. You like my car. Okay, let's go. And you know, it's not like my my girlfriend made a, a joke the other day. Like when you were a kid and you meet you know Timmy mm. and Timmy's like, oh yeah, I like red. And I'm like, oh yeah, I like red too. We're best friends now. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> like, we like red. You know, and that's kind of how it is. You know, and and I love that. I really love it. That's great, man. Mm -hmm. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming, man. Of course. And, and sharing the vibe. You Thank know, you for having me, man. I, I, I love your passion. Like, it seems like your flow is very purposeful. Mm -hmm. It's a purposeful flow. You're passionate about the technology. Yeah. You're like a passionate nerd about it. And that's how mm -hmm. I am about all my shit, yeah. too. <laughs> like, I feel like that's such an attractive human quality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I yeah. think, um, you know, who am I to judge? But I think a lot of people have so much time to talk shit about what's happening <laughs> because they're not focused on things that they like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure when you're at a car show or something, you can just get lost in time. Totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. You know, it's like we all have to find those things and it may change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, man, I, I appreciate you coming. Do you have um any words of advice for people out there that that are curious about building their passion, like the 17-year-old the you, you know, oh, who's out there right now? today who who knows they got some art that they want to share you know maybe they're shy maybe they're it's like it's bubbling up inside but they haven't done it yet or right i would say definitely jump in the in the dark you know go for it go for it and go as early as possible the earliest you start the more time you're going to have to develop your talent and skill and passion and everything and you know every no that you'll hear it's gonna just an indicator that you're closer to the yes so just, yeah, go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. I agree. You know, and falling in love with the craft. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing, right? It's like you care. Yeah. Right? It's like you could have just kept this money for the studio for yourself. Yeah. You could have just mm -hmm. bought a Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. Three, four, <laughs> maybe five. <laughs> right? But <laughs> totally. it's like, uh, but the fact that you're investing back into it, it's like there's something about that, about when you're passionate, you care and you put more effort. Even if somebody else might be more skilled than you at first, but you're more passionate, mm -hmm. passion over time equals effort. Yeah. And yeah, effort yeah. gets you so many results. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, where can people find out about the studio if they want to book the most incredible audio <laughs> studio <laughs> in <Ever>. the world? <laughs> yes, yes. Just uh, hit me up. Uh, it's pretty simple. Just put Irko on any social media. It, it'll pop up. Nobody named that. <laughs> you guys haven't launched a website yet for it? No, we don't have a website. with Nothing. It's just word of mouth for, for now. But I will I will make a website. No. My guy. Irko, yeah. thanks for coming, brother. Thanks for sharing the vibes, man. Thank you so much for having me. This yes. was fun. All right, man. That's a wrap. All right.